Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm really sorry that we can't be with you there at church today. Uh, we would really value your prayers as we recover uh, from COVID as a family. But I, I'm still glad to be able to, to continue our, our series in Exodus, even if I can't be with you in person. Uh, please do uh, get, get your Bibles open in front of you, if you haven't already, to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, if you haven't got one yet, go and get one. I can't see you. Uh, you can stand up. Uh, it's okay. You can go and get one without a problem. Uh, but it'd be good for you to be reading through it as well. Uh, and why don't we pray? Why don't we pray together as we start? Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that Exodus has been showing us and teaching us. And I pray that you'd continue to speak to us and work in our hearts today. Amen. How good is your memory? How good is your memory? I want to begin today by showing you some pictures. And I want you to try and remember as many details as you can. I'm going to give you 20 seconds uh, to look at these pictures. Uh, so try and remember as many details as you can. Okay, here we go. We're going to come back to this uh, a little bit later in the service. Uh, and I'm going to test, test you to see how well you did. I wonder how you're feeling about that, whether you're confident or nervous about that. Remembering it is so important, isn't it? Uh, our short-term memory, making sure we remember what we need to do each day and that we keep our word to each other. Our long-term memories, making sure that we don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Growing in wisdom as we grow older. Well, today's passage, what we see is God giving his people some really important ways to remember his rescue and what they need to do with that. In recent weeks, we've been looking at, at the book of Exodus and we've seen how stubborn, hard-hearted Pharaoh has basically faced undeniable proof that the one true God has come to set his people free. Just as he promised to Moses and his people, he acted through the plagues that decimated the land. And last week, we thought about that most devastating plague, the death of the firstborn son. At the end of the passage... Uh, from last week, there was a great wailing going on throughout Egypt. God's people were saved uh, through this substitute, through the, the blood of a pure sacrificial lamb daubed on their doorposts. A life given for the life of their sons, saved by the gracious provision of God, just like we are saved in Jesus. So what happens next? What happens straight after this? And why is remembering such an important thing for us? Well, we're going to dive into this passage and think about these things. My first heading for us this morning is this. That God saves and provides for his people. God saves and provides for his people. There's an immediate response from Pharaoh. During the night, he, he calls for um, Moses and for Aaron. And this is what he says. Verse 31. Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. You see, this final plague has been too much even for Pharaoh. The wailing going on throughout the land, grieving his own child. He has woken up to the fact that, that the God of the Israelites cannot be ignored or rejected. He, he seeks blessing, in fact. You see that? Just like Pharaoh had done way back at the 430 years ago when, when Israel uh, first moved to Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Jacob blessed Pharaoh at that moment. Here's Pharaoh seeking that blessing again. It doesn't say whether he receives it, but I think it's quite unlikely. 
It's not just Pharaoh urging them to leave, though. You see in verse 33, all of the Egyptians are kind of really saying to, to, to God's people to hurry, to leave. They've waited so long, and now they're told to go straight away. They haven't even got time to, to prove their bread. They just need to take what's theirs and go. Maybe they're afraid that more death is coming, more, more judgments. Or maybe it helps us understand why the, the stress of the Passover meal was on haste, was on speed. Do you remember that last week? They ate it with their coats on, ready to go. Because as soon as they were freed, they were told they, they had to be gone. They were slaves no longer. They were able to leave, free to follow God. They had a really long journey ahead. And let's be honest, they had no idea how long it would be. They would need supplies. How would they possibly be able to afford the things that they needed from traders, from caravans in the deserts? How would they have these provisions? If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, you see God promising that they would leave Egypt with great wealth. And here we see that happening in verses 35 and 36. The Egyptians uh, give them possessions and wealth. Is that just because they were kind of glad to see the backs of Israel? Well, clearly God was at work here, causing them to, to respond with favour on his people, giving them gifts of gold and silver and clothes, things that they would need for the years ahead. At the end of verse 36, it, it describes this as plunder. That's a, a military word, uh, gaining the spoils of war. It was another sign of God's victory over those standing against him. They had been ruined by the plagues, and now they'd been plundered as well. God was making it very clear who was in control and how he could not be challenged. Not only does he save his people, but he provides generously for them for the years ahead. He makes sure they have what they need. And we see them leaving in verse 37, off on their first leg of the journey. In huge numbers, lots going with them, with their animals and their flocks. There was no turning back. Everything was going with them. And verse 40 records the time, 430 years in total in Egypt. You know, God had promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis that, that his people would spend 400 years in another land. But now here he was bringing them out. It's a really good moment in the story, isn't it? That God has kept his promises, that, that God has rescued his people and they're saved and they're rescued and not just saved, but they're, they're provided for generously and richly uh, for the years ahead. Hopefully that's something helpful for us to see and remember. Last week we saw, didn't we, how the Passover was a picture of the deeper rescue that we have in Jesus. How his blood covers us and saves us from sin and brings us eternal life. And just like he provides for his people here, God is incredibly generous in how he saves sinful people like us. If you remember the verses we looked at last week from Romans chapter 5. Verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? It's a staggering verse, isn't it? How much more? How much more will we be saved from his wrath? This isn't being saved by the skin of our teeth, kind of holding onto a cliff edge and just being rescued at the last moment. This is a complete, thorough salvation. We are completely safe from God's judgment. It's a secure position. He is generous in his salvation. 
And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes it as incomparable riches. This is Ephesians 2 verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are shown the incomparable riches of his grace. Great kindness to us in Christ. He doesn't just leave us and, and just that's it. He, he adopts us into his family. He makes us his children. Every spiritual blessing is ours. It's, it's hard to comprehend that reality, isn't it? Especially hard when life doesn't feel like that. When we face trials and suffering, it doesn't feel like we're kind of wealthy in Christ when we're going through those things. If that is the case for you today, if, if it doesn't feel like God is working for your best at the moment, I think it's worth reflecting on the story of Exodus. Seeing God's plan at work, trusting that he does see, that he does feel your pain, he does have your best at heart. That you can trust his goodness and his generous provision. Part of the problem, of course, is that we tend to forget about this. Quickly, the problems in our lives become so big we lose our grasp on the deeper spiritual realities of who we are in Jesus and they become very small. How do we remember? How do we remember these things? How did the Israelites remember? We're going to think about that. But before we do, remember those pictures I, I showed you at the start. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick test now. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to, to talk to someone around you uh, in the hall uh, and speak to, to, to your family members or, or someone nearby and see if you can answer these questions. See how many of these you can get. So there's the questions about the pictures that you saw. So I'm going to put them up on the screen and give you a couple of minutes to do that. So how did you get on? How did you get on? Uh, maybe some of you did really well uh, and you had the sort of techniques that you needed to, to kind of store those things away and make connections to help you remember. There are certain ways of doing that, aren't there? Certain things that work. For me, I have to have a big sticker or a big sign in front of me or an alarm going off for me to remember to do something. Uh, but there are different techniques, aren't there? And actually, what we see in the rest of this passage is God doing something similar for, the, for his people. You know, as you read on in the book of Exodus, the people really quickly forget God's goodness when trouble comes. And that's why I think he lays out these things to help his people remember all that's happened, to, to help them uh, learn more about him and remember their salvation. We're going to look at, there's three to, three to look through briefly, and you'll see hopefully that they're helpful principles for us to consider as well. Firstly, the Passover. Firstly, the Passover, how we remember God's redemption. Now, there's lots of the previous chapter about this, uh, but there are a few things mentioned here as well. In verse 46, it talks about eating the meal indoors. Remembering they ate the meal indoors, kind of sheltered by the blood under the doorframe. There were no bones to be broken and the sacrificial lamb, which seems perhaps tricky when you're slaughtering it. But actually, it's a way of pointing forward to Jesus. In John's Gospel, it talks about how none of his bones were broken as a fulfilment. It, there's an important element of, of purity and perfection in the sacrifice. But actually the focus of the regulations here, we see in verse 47, the whole community of Israel must celebrate it. 
the whole community. This is something for the whole community of Israel to celebrate and remember. They're united in this act of being saved, of being freed from slavery, becoming a nation. It's what they have been saved from, and they need to remember that and celebrate that together. I guess the question is, who's a part of this? Because you've got Israel leaving, and the descendants of Jacob and his sons. But remember in verse 38, we saw that actually there were lots of others going with them. Other ethnicities, other peoples going with Israel. Is that allowed? I mean, hasn't gone God sorry, hasn't God gone through all of this to rescue his people? And verse forty three seems to back this up. It says no foreigner should eat the Passover. But then verse forty eight does give away. Verse forty eight A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. Do you see, God provides a way for others to become part of his people through that sign of circumcision. It's a sign of commitment, a sign of faith, of someone devoting themselves to the Lord. So right from the start, right from this point of Exodus, there were people in Israel, with Israel, who were accepted because of their faith and their commitment rather than their ethnicity. It's a great pointer, isn't it, to the gospel, where both Jews and Gentiles are saved through Jesus. As a community together, they shared the Passover feast year after year in the same way as the first one. A really visceral reminder of what they'd been saved from, of how they were saved, of not mistaking that this was God's doing. Again, that, that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We talked about this last week. And it's something we do together as a community uh, of people who are God's people, who are trusting Jesus. It's something we do to remind ourselves that, that we are saved as a, all of us together. It's really important to remember that. The second thing uh, Israel are given is the consecration of the firstborn. Consecration of the firstborn. 13 verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. You see, God's people were to consecrate their firstborn. People and animals. They were to give them to God as holy. They were to recognise that they belonged to him. That, that God is the one who has saved them. That he is their Lord and their King and deserves everything they have. It's a kind of symbol uh, of, of devoting themselves to God. What did that consecration look like? We see the instructions in verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Give every firstborn to God. That's the message. Clean animals, they would be offered as sacrifices to God. The first lamb. Something like that, a, a, a thank offering to God. Unclean animals were different. We see that with the donkey. Uh, they could be redeemed. They could be bought by offering a clean animal, a lamb instead. They weren't fit to sac be sacrificed themselves. They were not clean animals. But they were a useful animal. They were important. They needed to be redeemed. Otherwise, it's quite strong, isn't it? That, that animal had to die. You couldn't keep it without offering a sacrifice and recognising that actually it belonged to God. 
And there's a similar principle with the sons. If you look in Numbers chapter 18, you see they were to pay a price to the priesthood to redeem their sons, to give five shekels uh, to the temple to kind of buy back their, their firstborn son. This idea of firstborn was so significant in that culture. It was the, the future of their families. It was the one who would be the responsible provider and leader in the future. It was basically a way of God communicating the fact that all of his people belong to him. You know, the captain of a sports team kind of represents the whole team. And the firstborn son was there representing the rest of the family. It was a way of helping them remember and, and teaching them that they belong to God. Something to help future generations understand. We see that instruction. Do you see that in verse 14? In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. They explain this, this connection of consecration to their children. That God acted in judgment against Egypt. That the firstborn died. And now it's like we remember that we belong to God by sacrificing our firstborn animals, by redeeming our children. Our lives were saved and now we serve God. We live for him. It's a really vital way of remembering their redemption, of remembering their rescue from Egypt. It's a really important thing. We don't have to kind of offer our firstborn in the same way. But actually, do you think about why? Because God offered his firstborn son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem us. That's what we remember. What an amazing thing to, to, to have that uh, for, done for us, to rescue us. There's one more thing they are given. And that's the, the festival of unleavened bread. We see that in verses 3 through to 10. Actually, the, throughout quite a few chapters here, there's a real emphasis on bread. Do you see that? Why are they mentioning it so much? Well, we saw, didn't we, that out of urgency, because they, they, they had to leave straight away, they couldn't make bread as normal. They couldn't put yeast in it. They couldn't make it rise. They just took the dough and left. They needed to eat, and that's what they had. And it became so important. It became a, a key way of them remembering God's rescue, celebrating the Passover, as well as the festival of unleavened bread. A whole week with bread without yeast eating nothing that contained yeast it's kind of look this is what it was like to leave egypt it's a way of remembering what it was like to be set free and redeemed responding to what god has done for them it's a really very tactile way of remembering again isn't it you could explain it very straightforwardly to children when they ask well why are we eating this unappetizing flat bread he says, wow, because when our ancestors left Egypt, this is all they had time to make. Child says, well, what do you mean left Egypt? And the parents would have a chance to say, well, look, let me tell you about how God rescued us from slavery all those years ago. I've said a few times, this is an important connection through to the Lord's Supper today. A really visual, important way of us remembering. But actually, it's not just us remembering that's why we bring our children back into the service it's not appropriate for them to, to take 
communion themselves until they express their own faith and, uh, and show that commitment in baptism. But it's really important to, to have those opportunities to explain why we take it, for them to see that. It's the same principles we see here in Exodus. You see that, that as the chapter goes on, we get these things that they, they provide a really comprehensive picture of how God's people should remember their rescue. But surely it needs to be more than that, doesn't it? Remembering is really important, but, but actually what comes from remembering is far more important. If I remember that I need to pay my electricity bill, that's a good thing to remember. But unless I actually go and do something about it and go and pay that bill, my supply will get cut off. I've got to do something. I've got to respond. And that's really, I think, what my final point today is that how we, how we respond, how we respond to what we remember is vital. God's instructions, they're not just given here just for the sake of remembering, but because they would lead the people to worship and trust him in obedience. It's really striking, I don't know if you noticed this, just how strict the instructions about yeast were. You look at verse 7, it says, you know, have no yeast in your borders at all. In the whole land, just get rid of it. Not just kind of put it in a cupboard for a week, but just get rid of it completely. Have nothing to do with it. Why are they being so strict about this? Well, look at verse 9. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You see, God's commands and God's instructions were to be on their minds, to be on their hearts at all times. The law was to be on their lips. In other words, they were to live in obedience and worship of God. They were to respond to God's loving rescue by being his people, by honouring him and obeying him. They had been redeemed at great price and they needed to respond to that. It's exactly the same for us today. We have been redeemed at great price, the price of God's own son, the Lord Jesus, dying in our place. And as we remember that, the question is, how do we respond? How do we live for him? How do we worship him? There's many ways. Uh, Actually, the Apostle Paul picks up on one that's really quite interesting to see a connection here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, why not turn there? It's worth a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul Paul uses it yeast to kind of illustrate a point about how we should live he's dealing with a case of really serious sin in the church with a man sleeping with his father's wife and the church seems to be tolerating this and and maybe even being proud of it and paul is very clear you've got to deal with this sinful situation and he explains why in verse 6 1 corinthians 5 verse 6 your boasting is not good don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see Paul's point here that that any amount of sin can have an impact on the whole. A small amount of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And he says to the church, remove the yeast, get rid of sin from within the midst, get rid of it completely so that you can be an unleavened batch, a new creation. Thanks to the Lord Jesus, the Passover lamb, you see that language again. And they need to live that out, you see. 
not with malice and wickedness, but with sincerity and truth. It's a really interesting language connection, isn't it, back to Exodus. That as they keep this festival, it's a reminder that they're new. They've been bought by God. They need to live like they are God's people. Well, do you see there's a challenge for us here too? As we see that connection, we need to live in response to what we are remembering. The wonder of the gospel, the, the, the love of the Father, our redemption from sin. And one really important way, just like Paul suggests, is by not tolerating sin in our lives. Is there anything yeasty working away in your heart that, that you're not realising, but actually it's Im- impacting everything? When you think about that as a church, as a whole as well, like, like Paul was saying, not tolerating sin within us. Where might we struggle? Sometimes there are secret sins, aren't there, that we're battling and maybe failing in. And we're just not really sure what to do, whether it's a pornography addiction or alcohol abuse or, or gambling. Things like that. It's so easy to get carried away. If that's you today, then let me encourage you not to hide, not to kind of accept the yeasty sin in your heart, but to confess your sin and to seek help. Uh, there's no judgment, but there is an offer of help here. If you find someone you trust to share with and pray. I think many of us, we, we tolerate sin because we kind of know, actually, we're still doing better than other people. Compared to those around us, we're, we're pretty good. We're not, we're not that bad. We, we kind of justify small sins, don't we? Like speeding in the car. Ah, it's not that bad. Small lies. I only tell small lies. They're nothing major. I'm a little bit jealous about this and that, but it's, it's no big deal. It can be subtle things like that and subtle idols that, that take hold of our hearts. We can also be blind to our sin. Pride can, can, can completely blind us. And we don't even see that we're doing badly. We think we're doing really well. We think we're flourishing. But in reality, we're not. We're struggling with sin. We're holding on to past hurts and resentments that we're struggling to let go of. Maybe areas that, that we haven't been convicted in yet. We are called to act on what we remember by getting rid of our sin. By not having even a hint remaining. And that's something we can only do with the Spirit's help. He's the one who convicts us. He's the one who gives us the power to do something about it. It's a daily battle. Uh, look at Ephesians 6. It talks about putting on the armour of God. Because on our own we are too weak to, to fight this. But with God we, we can have victory over sin. And we can remove it from our lives. If you're struggling, let me say again. Speak to someone about it. Send me an email. There's no judgment. There's no shame. But it'd be good to pray and to help if you're struggling with sin. This unleavened bread was a great reminder of their salvation and a great reminder of their identity as God's people, about how they should live. And that's what we want to do too, isn't it? To be that unleavened bread, to, to remove the yeast from our lives as a sign that we have been saved and that we are God's people. Now that's, that's one aspect of kind of how we respond to what we remember. How we have an impact on our lives. There's many others. That's one I, I've chosen to focus on today. But there's lots of facets that, that I'm sure you can think of in terms of worshipping God. How do I respond to what I'm remembering about this truth? How do I live a life of worship? There's other things that we can reflect on and, uh, and, and talk about this week. We're called as a united body of believers to remember this truth together and that's why we worship and we pray together and we spend time in small groups 
It's why we help each other think about these truths and, and help each other grow in our love and joy of Jesus. And how we help each other reach out and share the good news with those around us. What a privilege that is. We, need to, we do these things in response to what we know, what we remember, the, the wonderful truth of God's grace. And we need to use those opportunities, don't we? The things that he's given us, the Lord's Supper, the festivals like Christmas and Easter, our church family, and God's word. There's so many things he has given us. We are so blessed. Uh, uh, there are lots of ways to help us remember. But will we respond? Will we, will we worship God in response to all he's done for us? I just want to encourage you really to, to seek each other out this week. Maybe text or call each other and email each other. Share the truth of God's word. Share your joys and your sorrows as sons and daughters of God. Talk to your children about it. It's a really important aspect of, of these verses about remembering. Help your children understand it too. And together we need to encourage each other to, to live for God. Friends, if you're not a believer here today, just before I close, let me just say, do you see there's a great opportunity to belong here? To be forgiven and be part of God's people, a family. What a joyful thing that is. You can come to him today. If you confess your sin, if you accept the mercy of Christ, you can come and follow him and you can respond. There's nothing greater you could do. Let me encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you reveal in this passage, for the ways that you give the Israelites a way of remembering and responding to, to how you have saved them. And Lord, I ask the same for us, that you would help us to, uh, to, to be full of remembering, to, to be calling the wonderful truths of the gospel to mind, to, to be preaching it to our hearts. And would you prompt us by your spirit to respond in glad worship, in obedience, in removing sin from our lives and battling against it. Lord, please convict us and encourage us to keep living for you as we remember the wonders of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>